Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 this morning, and you'll remember a couple weeks ago, I think three weeks ago, I began a series that I introduced on Sunday morning, and I was planning on preaching it Sunday nights, and then everything went wonky with my eye that day, and so I wasn't able to continue on with it, and so we've had uh, other uh, preachers filling in for me on Sunday nights a little bit, and I appreciate so much them doing that, uh, Brother Roberts, and then Brother, uh, my son-in-law, Matthew, last week, and uh, Many have asked, I appreciate your prayers so much, continue to pray if you would. Uh, my eye is healing, but very, very slowly, and so I can see about 50% out of that eye, and so it, it's still, diff- reading is still very difficult. I try to memorize the service and try to memorize my message, and that's why sometimes I get the wrong title on a song or something, but uh, to glance quickly is very difficult, so uh, if I can read if I, if I really focus on it, so if you'd pray, I'd appreciate that. I'm scheduled to have surgery this Wednesday, but only if it's clear enough for them to see in the eye, which as of right now, it would not be, so I need some, I need some additional healing in the next couple days in order to have the surgery, and then if, if not, the Lord's will, maybe the following Wednesday, so we'll just pray to that end. I'd appreciate it so much. Um, your eyes are more important. You don't realize it till you uh, start struggling with it a little bit. And, and so I appreciate your prayers to that end. Genesis chapter 1, and I owe you an apology. Tonight we have a missionary in, Garth and Lynette Piper, long-term missionaries to New Zealand. And uh, I had gone ahead. Normally what happens is I'll schedule something like that months and months ago. And I'll put it on the church calendar, and then Cindy sees it, and she puts it in the bulletin, and it gets announced from the pulpit for weeks and all the rest. And uh, when I put it in the bulletin, my big thumbs, or put it in the calendar, my big thumbs click the wrong calendar, and I put it under birthdays. And so Cindy doesn't see that. That's my, kind of my personal calendar uh, to remind me of people's birthdays and anniversaries. And uh, she didn't see it. It didn't get in the bulletin, and I... It never got announced. And so I apologize for that. I hope you can be here tonight and hear this update from uh, the nation of New Zealand. And uh, the Pipers have been there faithfully for many years. As a matter of fact, they raised their children on the mission field, and now their children, some of them are married and back on the mission field themselves. And so it's been a great heritage there, uh, and we look forward to hearing from them tonight. And so I'm going to move this Sunday night series, just at least for this week, to the morning and try to get back on track. We've been talking about the battle of the ages. You'll remember the introduction. I give you five points of attack that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that uh, I believe is very obvious that Satan is attacking, started then, and continues to attack to this day. But he attacks so many other things, doesn't he? But if he can attack these root things, and you'll remember that we looked at these five, and I'll just summarize them very quickly for you. Genesis chapter one and verse one, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we see the first couple points of attack there in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God. How many of you'd like to know that Satan would like to wipe all thoughts of God from our minds? He does not want us worshiping him, for he hath ascended above God, he believes. Isaiah chapter 14, through the sin of pride, Satan strove to take, raise his throne above the throne of God. He wants to be worshiped. And by the way, he is worshiped a lot in this world. And we have to be very careful those things that we tie ourselves to because the devil is behind a lot of those things. So in the beginning, God, and the next word is created. That'll be our lesson for this morning. We'll look at the attack on the creative power of God. 
And why is that important? You might say, well, I, I believe in God and I believe that I'm saved, but I just don't, I just don't buy this whole idea that he created everything. And I, I, I believe in evolution or I believe in some other theory. And, and so we're going to look at that a little bit today. We won't get off into the weeds. We won't get looking at all those theories. We'll just tell you why the Bible is true. You know, they say this, that when somebody is taught to, to look for counterfeit money, they don't handle the counterfeit, they handle the real thing. And once you've got an idea of what the real thing looks like, you can identify the counterfeit. And so we're going to just spend our time in the Word of God this morning, the real thing, amen? Genesis chapter 126 will be next Sunday, Lord willing, where the Bible says, let us make man in our image. We were created in the image of God. By the way, I believe that is a tarnished image today. We don't look a lot like God intended for us to look like. Adam and Eve created perfect, yet with a sin nature. And they had the choice, the propensity to sin, but they were created without sin. But I was born in this world with a sin nature and chose to sin. And so we have, because of sin entered the world through Adam, the Bible says, and sin has passed unto all men. And so we don't look a lot like the image of God. And, and, and from the rest of the Bible, the New Testament especially, there's a constant battle to retain, regain that image. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put off the old man and put on the new. The old man should be crucified with his affections and lusts. And so constantly he's saying, let's put off that old man and let's try to get back to looking like the image of God. How many of you know we will never finally get there till we see him face to face and we'll be changed into his image for we shall see him as he is. One day we'll be free from sin. In Genesis chapter 1 and 27, we see the next uh, battle, a point of attack, if you will, in this battle of the ages. The Bible says, male and female created he them. Boy, is that a, a, a point of attack for today. By the way, that's not just for today, that's been for all history. It's just been intensified today because of technology and, and medical abilities today to, to, to follow through with the wickedness that's already been in the heart of men for centuries. And so we'll, we'll look at that uh, perhaps next Sunday night, uh, and we'll look at the other one in Sunday morning. And then Genesis chapter 2, we see the fifth point of attack. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, the family, is the next point of attack we see. And I think, I think it's very plain that all five of those things, the devil seeks to destroy. Anything that God says is good and wholesome and right and holy unto the Lord, Satan will try to pervert and destroy. And so we're going to look at those things today, but let's look at Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to see, uh, in the beginning, God created. Now, there are a lot of other points of attack, and it seems that these five are the most reoccurring throughout scriptures because they were the earliest statements of God. So they've been under attack the longest, it seems. And we have to understand that as Satan attacks, God still has a desire for his children to live right, to be holy and to be obedient to the word of God. And so because of these attacks, we are to put on the armor of God. But here's what I understand as far as the armor of God, they are all spiritual armor. It is a shield of faith. It's your, having your loins skirt about with righteousness. And the only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we need to equip ourselves in the word of God. And, and the Bible says this, that bodily exercise profiteth little, but exercise thyself rather unto godliness. 
And so we are to flex our spiritual muscles and we are to work hard at building up our walk with God. And so let's look at some of these things this morning that would help us. Genesis chapter one and verse one. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read the account of creation. I'm gonna read the account of creation. Let me ask you this. Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't confess here this morning. How many of you ever get to a portion of the Bible that you read so many times and you've just kind of got it in your heart so you just kind of skim through it. I think sometimes it's like that with the days of creation, isn't it? It's just one of those passages so familiar to us that maybe we don't preach on it enough or pause to, to read it often enough. So let's take the time this morning and read it together. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Boy, you could preach on the power of God from that verse, couldn't you? God said, let there be light, and there was light. There wasn't even a sun yet. Think about that. I mean, it's not like God flipped a switch and the sun came on. God said, let there be light, and there was light with no sun. He hadn't even created it yet. God had the power. By the way, God is light. Amen? The Bible says that in heaven there will be no need of a sun because Jesus is the light thereof. He will be the light of the world for everlasting. Verse 4, and God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divide the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven in the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, uh, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Now, I'm going to stop there just for a second and interject a comment that I found kind of interesting just in, in my study this week. Here's, here's what I learned about reading these six days of creation. You will notice that the first three days, God is busy forming the earth, and the next three days, he's busy filling the earth. Notice that, if you will, this morning. And here's something else that I found interesting. Day one goes with day four, day two goes with day five, and day three goes with day six. What God prepared on day one, he fills on day four. What he formed on day two, he fills on day five. And what he formed on day three, he fills on day six. And you can read with me. And I, I mean, do you say, does, does, does that have any theological significance? Does that, is that something we're going to, a hill that we're going to die on? No, absolutely not. It's just something I noticed. But here's what it says to me. God is a God of order. God is a God of order and a God of design. 
And that just reinforces that fact in my mind to see, look at the plan that God had. Day one, he would form. Day four, he would fill. Day two, he would fill him. Day five, he would fill. Day three, he would form. Day six, he would fill. And look how it bears out in the scriptures this morning. Verse 13, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament. So on day one, he created the firmament. He separated the waters from the, from the land, and he created the firmament in the sky, the waters above, the waters below. He created a firmament, and the Bible says on the fourth day, he filled that firmament. Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let there be four uh, signs and of seasons and for days and years. By the way, those lights and those, the moon and the stars and the sun and all that, that's for you. God didn't need it. God had light in the earth before the sun ever came along. He gave a moon for light at night, but God had light and darkness. He didn't need the sun and the moon and stars. He says, let's put the sun, moon, and stars in place so that man can tell what the seasons are and the days are and the weeks are. And, and, and for years, sailors navigated by the stars. And so it helped bring order to the world for mankind. And he says, let them signs for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and it was so and God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night he made the stars also and God saw them in the firmament on the earth to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good in the evening and the morning were the fourth day so on day one, God created the firmament and the, the heavens and the earth. And on day four, he filled the heavens and the earth, the firmament with sun, moon, and stars. On day two, you'll notice the Bible says that God let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seeds. So he began to prepare the earth. Uh, the dry ground appeared and God put grass and seeds and trees upon the earth. And so what do we see on day five? The Bible says in verse 20, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly upon the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiplied and fill the waters and the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So God fills the waters and the firmament and now day six. And God said, let the earth, on day three, he brings forth grass and herbs and seeds. Let the earth bring forth the living creature after its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good, but he wasn't done there. The same day, he said, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. By the way, you'll read down later on in chapter Three or chapter two, that it'll say that Adam was in the garden. He began to name all the animals, and later on, there was no helpmeet for him. So God took a rib from his side and created Eve to be his helpmeet. Some will say, "Well, how many? How much time passed? It was all on day six, because on day six, the Bible says male and female 
created he them. And we believe, I believe the Bible. I don't know about you, but I believe the Bible. So it all happened on the same day. Be fruitful in verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, behold, I have given unto you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth uh, wherein there is life I have given every green herb for meat and I and it was so and God saw everything that, and behold everything he had made and behold it was very good and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us today. As we know that Satan would attack the very concept of almighty God. And I think that concept is never more evident than in his creative power. The fact that he spoke and there was light. That he created the sun, moon, and stars with just, the, just, just a command from his voice. That he made man in his image out of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life. And Father, Satan would erase that from our very thoughts and minds. He would teach the children in schools all across our nation that we are just the result of some cosmic accident. That through an evolutionary process, we climbed forth out of a slime pit somewhere and two cells became four and then eight and multiplied into the millions of cells that it takes to make up the human body. Father, I pray that you just help us to be a people of the book. Help us to be a people that believes the word of God. Lord, I can read Genesis 1 and 2 and, and get the idea of creation. And I honestly, I, I, I may not be able to stand before a group of people like a Ken Ham or another creation scientist and explain all the intricacies of it. But I can say this, thus saith the Lord. And I can just believe that I will not always understand all the mysteries of the word of God. All the mysteries of science that God has so intricately made. Lord, I can believe you. And so I pray that you just put that very simple thought in our hearts today. That we are here to believe not just the word of God, but the God of the word. And so I need your help today. I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. Bless this time in your word, we pray. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure if I were to pull the congregation this morning, we could come up with all kinds of theories of where this world came from. I remember hearing theories in, in school, and I went to public school through 11th grade, and I remember hearing theories not just about evolution, but about a lot of other theories such as spontaneous generation. I remember reading in a science book that somebody was riding a horse through a, through a puddle of water, and when they rode that horse through the puddle of water, some of that horse hair fell off into the water, and from that generated earthworms. I remember reading that as a theory of explaining where worms came from. It was just a horse hair that hit some water, and there was some sort of nutrients in that water, and it caused, because all life comes from water. No, all life comes from God. I remember reading other 
fanciful theories. And here, here's the funny thing I, that I found as I got older and I was going to church and listening to the, the preaching of the word and listening to my Sunday school teachers and learning about creation and what God had, had wrought with his own hands. And, and I remember going to school and hearing these things and, and some of the teachers pointing at a theory and saying, doesn't that sound ridiculous? That, that people in times past would think that? spontaneous generation, or they, they talk about all these other weird theories, and I, I mean, strange things. But then they pointed evolution and say, but, but this makes sense, doesn't it? And I thought, that's just as wacky as the other. That's just as foolish to believe that just by some accident, we came from nowhere. I'm glad to know that we were created in the image of God. That God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. But it's interesting how Satan often attacks very subtly. Even though he's upfront and open about it, his attacks start with reason a lot of times. And so he doesn't just attack the idea that man is created in the image of God. There were so many that believed that even after evolution came out. They would hold on to evolution, but they'd also believe we were created in the image of God and somehow mesh those two theories But Satan started with creation and then devalued the very life of man in the process. Somebody said this, don't be surprised if your children act like animals if they go to school and learn that's where they came from. If there's no God that created us, there's no accountability. We will not answer to God if he is not creator God. You say, is it a matter of salvation? We'll talk about that at the end of the message this morning. I believe that salvation is turning in repentance to faith in Jesus Christ. I think somebody can be saved, born again, and believe in Jesus Christ without ever even hearing about the book of Genesis. But I also know that it is this point of attack that can offend somebody. The word offend means to cause to stumble to lead into an offense, to lead them into sin or lead them away from the truth. And I wonder how many public school teachers will stand before God having offended little ones with the lies from the pits of hell. And as a result, they never trusted Christ as Savior. So let's look this morning at why we should believe that God created. Number one, very simple this morning, the clarity of the Bible. The clarity of the Bible. Here's the thing, folks. You either believe God's word or you don't. And you believe it is God's word or it isn't. There's there's no picking and choosing. Let me just share an illustration with you that's just a personal concern. It scares me sometimes when a parent will say to a child that Christmas is about Santa Claus And Easter is about the Easter bunny. A resurrection is about Easter. They said, why is that? Because if we start teaching our children, well, you know, on December 25th, there's a fellow that dresses up in a red suit and he goes to every home in the world and he slides down chimneys and he leaves gifts under trees. And there's a, a bunny in April or the end of March who comes around and he leaves Easter eggs and chocolate and candies for children and to celebrate a special weekend that has nothing to do with the resurrection, by the way. And then the third thing we tell them, that there was a man who came and died on a cross and 
laid in a grave for three days, but he rose again, are they going to believe it's just another fairy tale? If you lied to your children twice, what's to say they won't think you lied the third time? That's just a personal concern. Are you saying, I I ought to throw out all my Santa Claus stuff? I I think you ought to tell them about Jesus. I think they need to know that we celebrate Christmas because there was a child born in a manger to the Virgin Mary, that it was a miraculous birth, that it was Christ God incarnate in the flesh. I believe that we ought to teach them that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again three days later. And I'm going to be honest, in all innocence, we get caught up in those holidays, and we don't even think about it a whole lot. I just want to challenge you today to think about it. Name one other religion in the world that allows you to take their holy days and put up some fake cartoon character in its place. There was a kindergarten classroom in Florida several years ago that had a little bunny rabbit and they named it Muhammad and the Muslims wanted to bomb the school. They said, you will not take the name of our prophet and name your pet rabbit after it. And yet we switch and change whatever we want. Can I suggest to you today that perhaps that is Satan trying to take our mind off Christ to distract us from the real meanings of those holidays? Well, I would say to you this morning that it's very much the same when it comes to creation. That Almighty God created, and if somebody can substitute some other theory, then just maybe they'll stop thinking about an almighty, all-powerful God. In the beginning, God created. That's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to get five words into the Bible to find out who he is and the power he possesses. Now, if I were to ask you, do you remember the first time you came to church? How many of you remember the first time you're ever in a church of any sort? Just raise your hand. Some of you maybe were just a little, nobody, you're here today, you understand that? You're in church now. All right. How many of you would say that when you first started going to church and it was just kind of all new to you, if I were to ask you the question, where in the Bible do we read about the creation of the universe? That God created the heavens and the earth How many of you, honestly, would be able to answer Genesis? I would guess that probably a lot of people. I think if we were to go downtown Simple today and say, listen, uh, you you, you know, where where would we find in the Bible the story of, of God creating the earth? And I think a lot of people, maybe not as much as used to be, but I think a lot of people have a cursory knowledge of the Bible in the sense that, well, Genesis. Genesis means beginnings or origins, And I think a lot of people have that idea, but they might be surprised to find out the idea of God creating the earth is all through the Bible. I'm going to read some verses very quickly to you today for the sake of time, because I want you to understand this is not just a Genesis concept. When I say the clarity of the Bible today, you might say, well, pastor, you know, you're reading the book of Genesis and, and, you know, I I maybe, I I might be inclined to believe that it's kind of allegorical or maybe it's metaphorical or maybe it shouldn't be interpreted literally. I want to tell you this, the Bible from beginning to end talks about God creating. It's not just some isolated incident by a man by the name of Moses who wrote it hundreds and hundreds of years after it took place. Notice what the Bible says this morning. If we only found it in the book of Genesis, we might say, well, that's peculiar. Why does no other prophet say anything about it? But notice what Nehemiah said. Thou, even thou, O Lord, 
our, our Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, and with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Boy, there's something there in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. I want you, don't, don't you miss this. Nehemiah very plainly says that God made heaven and the heavens of heavens, and he made the earth and all that is therein. But here, here's, here's an important thing. Listen to this. It says he preserveth them all. You're going to go home today, and you're going to turn on the news, and you're going to watch the broadcast, and the world is coming to an end. Isn't it? Global warming, climate change, we're entering into another ice age. I wish they'd make up their mind. Which is it? But here's the truth. God is still on his throne. And God preserveth it. Somebody will say, well, the ocean's a half degree warmer than it was 30 years ago. Here's my question. Who cares? You say, you don't care about the earth? Not, not at all. I don't worry about it because God is in control. And he preserveth all things. Now, that, that does not mean I believe we should be willful in our destruction of the earth. You know, you're foolish. You say, well, you know, God's in control. I'm going to throw my garbage out, my McDonald's bag out the window into the ditch. I, I remember when Adam and Eve were put in the garden to keep the garden. To take care of and be stewards of what God has given us. I'm not saying we ought to willfully destroy the earth. I'm just saying God is in control and I'm not worried about a blip on a temperature gauge. I know who's in control and who preserveth all things. I've only read one verse. Let me keep going. Nehemiah 9, 6. Psalms 19, chapter 1 says this. 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. David wrote that. David also wrote, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his, his breath. Just breathed it out and God made the earth. Psalm chapter 121, verse 1 and 2. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. David wasn't the only one, nor was Nehemiah. Solomon said this, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while thy evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, oh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Isaiah the prophet wrote, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. I love that. There is no searching of his understanding. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we get that great psalm, Behold our God. He is not weak. And he is not weary. Jeremiah the prophet said this, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. He said, well, those are all Old Testament prophets. Jehovah God was directing them in their thoughts. Oh, what about the New Testament? Here's what John says. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Paul, the apostle, born as an apostle after the due time, said this in Romans chapter 1, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, whom, by whom are all things... 
and we by him. Ephesians, the Bible says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, wherein from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Colossians says, for by him were all things created that are in the heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Hebrews chapter three, for every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Revelation chapter four, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Listen, why do we believe that God is the creator of this world? Because of the clarity of the Bible. The Bible says from Genesis chapter one and verse one to Revelation chapter four and verse 11, that he hath created all things and all things were made by him. I don't know how clear, much clearer it could be. That's what the Bible says. You say, well, I don't know if I believe the Bible. Boy, that's a dangerous shifting sand. Not only is there clarity of the Bible, it is crucial to the believer. I want you to notice some things here and we'll settle here for just a few moments this morning. Why is a biblical faith that God created the earth so crucial to the believer? Number one, listen. It is a testimony of God's existence and power. The earth is a testimony of God's existence and power. If you're so inclined, write this verse down. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1. I already read it once, but listen. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The book of Romans repeats that same thought in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. The Bible says, For the invisible things of, of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." We need to only open the doors and see the very handiwork of God. Now, listen to me this morning. There are a few testimonies of who God is. There are. We have the written word of God, don't we? We have the word of God that testifies to us. And, and I would group a, a preacher or somebody who's a soul winner into that group. In other words, they are professing the word of God. No preacher ever ought to get up and not profess the word of God. If you're trying to lead a soul to Christ, you should must, all, listen, the Bible says you're born again of incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. So we must always use scripture to try to convince the heart. And so the word of God is invaluable. And so we have the very clarity of scripture, the clarity of the Bible that testifies of who God is and what God's purpose is and how he sent his son to redeem us from a, a lost condition. And so we understand this, but the Bible says that nature itself also declares the glory of God. Apart from that, I think also the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tugs at the heart of man and, and he draws us to a place where we will put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he, he doesn't make that decision for us, but he is constantly convicting and molding us and making us to the point. How many times can you look back at your unsaved life and realize that God's hand was upon you and convincing you and trying to help you find Christ? From that day forward, he continues to work in your conscience through the conviction of the Holy Spirit to keep you walking holy in Christ Jesus. So we see the Spirit, we see the Word, but we see God's hand in creation. 
if you start removing some of those witnesses. Think about a world or a lost person today. If I were to take them outside and, on a starry night and show them the skies and say, God made this. How can you deny the very existence of God? And they say, oh, but I was taught that we revolved. That the universe is billions of years old and this is just some cosmic burp and all those stars were thrown into place by a big bang from some ball of nitrogen gas that existed billions and billions of years ago. They have just lost one witness of the glory of God. What a dangerous game to play. It's important that we understand that the word of God is not the only witness, but creation is a witness to God's glory as well. It is crucial to the believer. It is a testimony of God's existence and power. Number one, it announces, Psalm chapter 19, verse one, it announces God. Two men can look at the sky, they can look at the mountains, they can look at the the gorges that God has carved out with his rivers, they can look at the oceans and the seas, and one man may say, isn't this wonderful that this all evolved by chance? And the other might say, what a wonderful God. My wife and I have always wanted to drive the route through Thunder Bay and Kenora and all that above Lake Superior. And so this year when our grandson Bowden was born, we went out to Saskatchewan, we cut through the United States and we're kind of torn because we, we love the mountains and the rivers and the waterfalls and we love Cracker Barrel. So we cut through the United States and we, we stopped and, and we never made it to Cracker Barrel, but we stopped and we, we had dinner with Calvin and Regina Allen. We stopped in uh, Milwaukee area on our way through and we had dinner with them at a Mexican restaurant. We had a good time and then we kept going. We got out to see our new grandbaby and we spent a week there and on the way home, we decided we'd go through the north. I don't know how you can deny God. The beauty that we beheld, some, some might say, well, every tree looks the same, Every rock, every, oh, we saw some beautiful waterfalls. That was kind of what we did. We, we plotted on the map all the waterfalls we could find, and we'd pull off and spend a few minutes there and hike down to the waterfall and take some pictures. And, and, and we went to, uh, uh, what's it called? Kekabeka Falls. What a be- is that what, did I say that right? Kekabeka Falls? Brother Robert's been up there. He knows. I took a picture of Kekabeka Falls and Kevin said, where are you guys? And I sent him the picture. He goes, oh, you're at Kekabeka Falls. He knew right where we were. He's my sister works there or something, right? Or your niece. Niece works. I said, good night. This guy follows me everywhere. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, to deny God's creative power is a very witness of creation. God through all the stars into space, the sun, the moon, he created the earth and everything we've talked about, not to hide his existence, but to show his glory that it might be revealed unto man. So it's important as a believer that we believe in that, that we believe that God created the entire earth and all that is therein. So it announces God. It gives us accountability. In Romans chapter one and verse 20, he says, they are without excuse. Because his Godhead and his power are clearly revealed through the invisible things of this world that are clearly made manifest. It gives us accountability to God. Listen, if God created all, you'll answer to him. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 doesn't just say that we are accountable, but it also gives him the authority 
For thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and, what's that next word? Power. Do you know what the word power means in the Bible? Authority. In that sense, he has given him authority. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Because God has created all things, he has authority over it. Do you know what happens when we deny that authority? We say, I'm in charge. The Bible describes it this way. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Do you know what they say today instead of that? They say, my body, my choice. Satan is trying to take our eyes off the Lord and his authority and giving us autonomy. No, you will answer to a God who created this world. So it's crucial to the believer that we believe that and we preach it because it's a testimony of God's existence and his power. But not only that, it's a teaching of God's word. I know that's simplistic, but it's a teaching of God's word. I read to you earlier Psalm 33, verse 6. Listen to this. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Here's the struggle I have, friend. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. Why is a belief in God that created the world crucial to the believer? Because the moment we start cutting things out of scripture, you have to ask the question, then what can we trust? If I don't believe Genesis 1.1, Why would I believe Matthew chapter 28 where it says he is not here, he is risen from the dead? There are people all over the world today that just strike pages out of the Bible. They'll look at it and they'll say, well, that's that's good for a moral teaching and I like the story that it portrays, but um, perhaps you've heard of President Thomas Jefferson. There's a Bible called the Jefferson Bible. It has holes all through it. He was a deist, and the things he did not like, he cut out of the Bible. It scared him, or he didn't believe it, or whatever reason he had. But you can go and see on display today the Jefferson Bible with holes all through it, because he denied several things. My my question is, if you can't trust part of the Bible, how can the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? So I believe in a God who created all things in six literal days and nights, morning and evening. Why? Because it is part of the word of God. And I believe the Bible. The two are inseparable. They are his holy word. And so it is crucial to the believer because it is a testimony of God's existence and power. It is a teaching of God's word. But you say, what are the consequences of unbelief? You say, what if I don't believe? Hebrews chapter 11 says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. I want to be very careful here. He said, can I be saved and not believe that God created? I think there's varying degrees to that question. It's a hard one to answer straight up. Number one, salvation is by faith through grace in Christ alone. When the unsaved person in their heart repents and turns from everything else they believed and trusted only in Christ for salvation, they can be born again. I said earlier, there are some people that will come to faith in Jesus Christ never having heard of the book of Genesis. 
Never known of these concepts. But here's what I also know. That when we begin to question the word of God, it damages our faith. The Bible says we are born again of incorruptible seed of the word of God. And to not have faith in the... Let me ask you this. Let me put it this way. If you don't believe that God, Jehovah God, Almighty God, created the heavens and the earth, what God are you putting your faith in? I'm not talking, listen, I'm not talking about a difference in opinion. I'm not talking about a difference in interpretation. Brother Eric and I might read the very same verse in the book of Thessalonians, and he might say, well, I believe right there, that's, I believe that's a picture of the rapture, and I believe that the Lord's going to come and do this and that and the other thing. And I might say, well, I don't see that, brother. I, I believe in a rapture, but I, I, I think it, it's going to happen on a Wednesday. You say Thursday, I say Wednesday. And we can argue about those little things. And we can, we can misinterpret or we can have a different idea of certain things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a fundamental precept. Do we believe the God of the Bible? Here's what I know. Jesus said, if you offend one of these little ones, it would be better on the day of judgment for a millstone to be hung around your neck and thrown into the deepest part of the sea than it would be to stand before a holy God. God takes it very seriously. And when we teach our children, yes, we, we believe in God, but we don't believe in the Bible. I've never heard a more foolish statement. You have no concept of God apart from the Bible. Here, here's another one. Somebody says, well, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. The same book talks about both. You're cutting out one part of scripture. You're sacrificing one for another. And when somebody says, well, I believe that, that Jesus died for my sins, but I don't believe he literally rose from the grave. That's where all this is headed. To not have a pure belief in the word of God. He said, well, then pastor, you explain it to me. You go to Genesis chapter one and explain to me everything happened on the first day. I can't do it. but I know the one who can. Amen. You know, the Bible talks about a lot of mysteries. I said to my wife one time, we were at the Creation Museum, and I, you know, Ken Ham does a much better job on that stuff than I ever could. He's researched it for years and years and years. And even then, we're standing at some of the signs, and I saw, and I read that, and I said to my wife, I said, do you remember that in the Bible? She says, no. He's filling in blanks Sometimes trying to justify things scientifically that I said, you know what? I, I didn't need to know that. All I needed to know is that God created Amen. and that God has a plan and that we can trust him. L listen, he is the ancient of days. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Let me ask you, if, if God gives you a hundred years on this earth, do you think you'll ever understand what he's been known for everlasting? Can we ever even tap or scratch the surface of his knowledge? Not even close. But if you ask me, that's all the more reason to trust him. Because he is God. And so I'll believe the book. Creation's under attack. You say, Why? Because it takes our eyes off the Lord. Satan doesn't want to give God credit for this earth. 
I have a feeling the Lord looks around sometimes and says, I don't want to take credit for that nonsense that's going on. What a wicked, sinful people. But by his grace, he loved us anyway. And he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross, to redeem us from this world that had fallen in sin, and to save us. That's the message. Did God create? Absolutely. Is it under attack? You better believe it. What can we do about it? We must constantly and faithfully affirm the truth. Listen, like I said a moment ago, we may not agree on every single jot and tittle that comes down to, well, I think on, you know, when God hung the sun, I think it was 50 million degrees. Well, I only think it's 48 million degrees. We may not agree on every little thing, but can we agree on this? There's a God and he created everything. And he created it for his pleasure, it says in Romans, Revelation 4.11. And that every man will stand before God and because the earth testifies of the very glory of God, we are without excuse and we will answer to him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment this morning. I told you I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do this justice. There's just no way that in just a a short time in a sermon series that I could take this topic of God's creative power, but I wanted to lay out just some foundational things for you this morning. That in fact, God did create all there is. Satan hates giving him credit for anything, and if it can get even one person to take his eyes off God, then Satan will feel like he succeeded. The Apostle Paul said, I made all things to all men that I might win some. And I feel like Satan says the same thing. I made all things to all men so I can trip some up. So he throws all these theories out there. It comes down to this. Are you going to believe the God of the book? Let's stand to our feet this morning. Just next week, we'll be sending our kids back to school. And they're going to be hearing all kinds of nonsense. And this idea that we were not created by God, we're not accountable to God, we're not made in the image of God, it all leads to you do what you want with your life. You don't answer to anybody. You live for self and make yourself happy. It's your body, it's your choice. You can be whatever you want to be. That's all because we have denied the very existence of God from the beginning. Would you pray for those kids? You stand here today and say, Pastor, I believe. What about your kids, grandkids? Would you pray for them today? Maybe there's one here say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't understand everything. I don't get everything. I've tried to be very careful about that. You don't have to understand everything. What you need to understand is this, that we are lost and sinful people, that we failed when we sinned against the holy God. And because of our sin, we've been separated from God. But God did not want that at all. And so the Bible says, by his grace, that means a gift we do not deserve, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And if we'll put our faith in him, we can be saved. They say, why do I put my faith in Jesus? Because he's the one that paid the price for your sin. 
when he died on the cross of Calvary. We sang, the choir sang mercy tree. And that's what it was. It was God's love upon a cross expressing his mercy and his grace to mankind. And you can be saved today if you believe. So I don't have all, I don't, I don't know anything about Jonah's whale and I don't know anything about Deborah or Barak or anybody else in the Bible. Do you know Jesus? You see, the disciples were unlearned and ignorant men, but they could see they'd been with Jesus. Doesn't mention anybody else they'd been with. To know Jesus alone is to know eternal life. Could we help you today? Does the one say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Slip up your hand and we'll pray for you. We'll try to help you if we can. I won't embarrass you, I promise. Is there one say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me?